we're still defining the church biblically from 2 Timothy 2, and we'll soon get back into Acts, and I have a lot of other material I've been working on too that sometime I would like to share. So today, we did verse 25. I'll give you a quick overview of that, and then we're going to go to verse 26. And I, I made an extra slide that you probably hadn't seen because Saturday I was looking at it yesterday and decided to, on a way that makes it even easier to understand. So let's read the text. I'll go 25 and 26. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Next verse. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So this is uh, full of theological ideas. I won't cover this again. We talked about granting repentance last time. And then we also touched on leading to the knowledge of the truth. So one of the things that we emphasize, and it's very important to know this, and uh, if we get to it, I have a, a slide that explains this. But the truth is shorthand for God's message. The lie is shorthand for Satan's. And so there are two messages, if you want to boil all the ideas in the world down, that have to do with spiritual truth. And one is the lie which was uttered by Satan in the Garden of Eden. And the other is the truth, which is the message of Jesus Christ, God's promises, messianic salvation, and the need to repent and believe the truth. So Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So we want to lay out that. And there are other issues that come under the heading to domain theology. We have a few more of those articles. I do, if we have time, I have a slide that covers the main thesis of this, and I have a marked up version of it. I send anyone that contacts me through critical issues saying they think they have problems with demons, I refer them to that article. Because they think that they have to change locations or get an exorcist or this, that, or the other thing. And, and I point out that Satan's kingdom is, covers the whole world, and the truth is available in through the whole world. It's not geographical. It's not symptomatic. It's relational. And so when the better you understand something, eventually it becomes simpler, not more complex. The deliverance approach is very complex and almost hopeless. The, the reality, the truth, is very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. And those who are converted are removed from the domain of Satan and brought into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we're going to explore that. But there's also two other things that are true for all who are converted. It will look darkness to light, death to life, from the light to the truth. There's three things that are true of conversion that apply to everyone. And I have a, here, I'll give you a preview. 
This is my work from yesterday. So I made a new slide. And we'll, we'll look through the different verses uh, if, we, if we get to it, or we will next time. And this is universally the case. Uh, everyone who believes the gospel goes from the lie to the truth, from darkness to light, from death to life. And if you're dead, you're not a Christian. If you believe the lie, you're not a Christian. If you're in darkness, you're not a Christian. And I'll prove that from the Bible for many passages. And so that's where we're going with this. Here's the first one, the knowledge of the truth. The fruit of repentance is the knowledge of the truth. I think we covered some of these. Um, let me see what I've got here in my notes. One Timothy 2.4 says, who desires all, yeah, all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. Eric pointed out all sorts of people, not, and uh, he had a good reading of that. Titus 1, 1 and 2, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those, of the, those chosen of God and the knowledge, knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised long years ago. Titus 1, 1 and 2. Good passages to know. <laughs> Believe the promises of God. God cannot lie. He promised eternal life. And coming to know Christ is to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so it's rather sad to me that the most fundamental basic things that are necessary are now questioned throughout Christendom. And it's really sad. And it's no wonder people are confused. It's really no wonder at all that people are confused. Because if you look at the ads for churches or religious organizations, you look at sermons online or uh, in other sources, you hear so many things. And there's so little careful exegesis of scripture explaining the meaning and bringing people face to face with the truth. So it's no wonder. It's no wonder. It's no wonder people are, are confused. I have here uh, I want, a quotation I wanted to use from Yarborough, who has a great commentary I wanted to Timothy. Dr. Yarborough says this. By the way, these glasses are my old ones are focused better, I think. In speaking of opponents being instructed, notice that instructing, gentleness, correcting or instructing those in opposition, I point out that's the opposite of casting demons out of them. Screaming, come out, foul spirit, in the name of Jesus, and they writhe on the floor and scream. I used to go to those meetings and be part of them, and I point out, it's not exactly gentle. In fact, the things that we were doing in the 70s were the total opposite of this. These verses changed my life. I got out of that and got into Bible teaching. Because even people so in bondage, they're called taken captive by Satan, are the ones to be gently corrected. 
because what's necessary is repentance, not spiritual technology. It's not inner healing. It's not memory regression. It's not theophastic. It's not casting demons out. It's gentle, careful, forthright instruction from the word of God that will change lives. And that I will take to the grave with me. I won't deviate from it. Teach the word of God. It's never a sin ever to teach the Bible for what it says with careful study. To say that, well, why are you doing that? What kind of a dumb pastor are you? I literally, when I started teaching the Bible, people said, well, I won't go to your church anymore. It's not relevant. It's not practical. We want something practical. Well, let me read from Dr. Yarborough here. In speaking of opponents being instructed, Paul uses a form of paiduo, educate, instruct, that resonates with a cognate negated word translated stupid. A paidutus, uneducated, uninstructed. In describing arguments that Timothy needs to avoid in verse 23. Here's what he says, and I totally agree. An antidote to wrong-headed disputes can be proactive instruction that anticipates and heads off misunderstanding or distortion of Christian teaching. This is really the thing I highlighted. He says, pastors who neglect their calling to ambitious study and effective instruction may be creating their own enemies by their malpractice. Yarbrough. Create their own enemies by their malpractice. Create congregations who go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and couldn't answer the most basic Bible question because they never hear it taught. They go looking for an experience or whatever, or stories, story time, but they don't know. Never been taught. And uh, when we switched to being a Bible church, not this group, but the one I was with before that, boy, did we get up, come under attack. People left. People said, that I lost any... Uh, people used to have me come and be a guest speaker, part of how I survived, honor area. Went to zero for years. Because you can't... They, they thought, if you teach the Bible, you'll quench the spirit. No, I'm not kidding you. That's exactly what they told me. They just called it head knowledge. No, it's certainly possible that people can accurately describe biblical doctrine and not know Christ because they grew up in it and they memorized it. But that doesn't prove that the truth quenches the spirit because the spirit, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who inspired the Bible. So what we have to do with this patient instruction is this. Tell people the Holy Spirit who inspired the Word of God using human beings, the biblical authors, in their words, the author determines the meaning, Holy Spirit-inspired author. He, the Spirit himself, will never be grieved by teaching the words he inspired. 
Now, what was really being said was that included correcting error, and that's what they didn't like. Because the practice had been whatever comes through town must be from God. If you correct it, then that'll put a damper on the enthusiasm. So just let it all go, and if something isn't right, it'll maybe sort out later. But that's the malpractice he's talking about. So then the knowledge of the truth, 2 Corinthians, let me do that, and then we'll get to the next slide. I've got to make progress here. 2 Corinthians 7.10, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Paul's comments about the letter that caused sorrow, the sorrow of the world produces death. Uh, you know, it's really sad to see what a wicked and horrible world we're living in. And the death is awful. The atrocities that happened in Israel, the the crazed guy who shot up his neighbors in Maine then killed himself. The sorrow of the world produces death. But when we, true sorrow is when we realize we're sinners, we failed God, and we need forgiveness and redemption and God to change our lives from the inside out. That's what changes people. And um, that will produce life and truth. So as I said, we, we're going to get, here we are. We're on 26. And they may come to their senses. So what happens when you come to the knowledge of the truth? Come to your senses. So I looked up that word, and it's a pretty rare one. Um, and uh, the word is a hopox, and hopox means once, only once, at least in the New Testament here. The only place it's used. And uh, it means to awake out of a drunken sleep and become sober. I mean, this is using other usages like Philo, Josephus, other Greek language usage, similar time, come to their senses. Awake out of a drunken sleep, become sober. Uh, somebody, in other words, was drunk and they sobered up and they came to their senses or woke up. Um, this word may refer to a practice which sowers scattered seeds impregnated with drugs intended to put birds to sleep so that a net might be drawn over them to capture them. So evidently, there's, the word is used in that context. You want to catch the birds, you put the stuff in the seed, you feed the birds, they all kind of fall on the ground and you grab them all. So this is using being under the delusion of darkness, the lie of Satan, and not knowing Christ as being in a drunken slumber from which you need to awake. And this awakening is life-changing. And it changes our destiny, changes how we think about the world around us, it changes how we treat our families and the people around us. 
So this is the result of repentance. Escape from the devil's bondage comes through repentance. Repentance is spoken of in more than one way, by the way. There are totally misguided people out there who claim that repentance should never be preached to Christians or in the church or anything having to do with the New Covenant because they say repentance is only for the Old Testament or something else. And um, so they confuse many people by teaching this, but we can prove that that's false. Furthermore, there are synonyms. And uh, to turn from is used synonymously with repentance in, in the book of Acts. To turn away from or to turn to is also repentance. And um, ha having been held captive by him to do his will. Now notice this would be, he's speaking of opponents who are opponents to what Timothy is instructed to do by Paul carefully teach the truth, preach the gospel, preach the word, and so on and so forth, as we saw in 1 and Timothy. Excuse me. <clears throat> we see in Acts. So, this is saying, this is just the state of the world. This is universal. Paul's not diagnosing only some folks who are in darkness, but that's what we are, we're all like. Now, that article that I uh, wrote about this, I pointed out something that I noticed from a lot of years of ministry. That people are in bondage to the lie and to darkness and to Satan it cannot be determined by examining symptoms in a sense of comparing one person to another who's happy, who's well-adjusted, who has a good job, who has a good family, who doesn't get sick, whatever we might want to do. And so by examining symptoms, people notice somebody here has demons or needs inner healing, and somebody over here doesn't. But that doesn't work. And I'll, let me explain why. There are people who have nothing to do with Christ or Christianity, who disavow the Christian religion, who are happy, healthy, smiling, wealthy. Some have good families with lots of kids that love them. And that's not proof that they're Christian. There are others who are Christian who go through misery. There are Christians whose children have rejected them. There are Christians who have difficulties that are almost, I mean, defy getting over. Been there, done that. And wondering whether we're, we're going to survive it so bad. And there are Christians who have emotional distress and sorrows. Job isn't in the Bible for no reason. Definitely comforts us. And Job's comforters are there too because they're everywhere. <laughs> so the point is, 
The thing that deceives people is the study of symptoms rather than the study of the Word of God. And so then that gets, goes another step. And I, I can't remember to call that guy back. Uh, there's a guy doing a documentary on it. The, the church developed unbiblical processes that have really damaged a lot of families. One I wrote about is called Theophostic Counseling. It's based on the idea that whatever's wrong with you is caused by a first memory event. Well, then that went through the churches and caused all this damage. A guy called me, he was doing a documentary on it, said he lost his daughter to it 18 years ago. And along with that came recovered memories. The recovered memories were memories that the person who had them recovered couldn't remember, nor did anybody else remember any of it. Well, it turns out the recovered memories are things that usually never happened at all. And that was uh, almost an epidemic. And so you take the theophostic plus the first memory event is a recovered memory, not one that somebody actually have, with the assumption that it got suppressed because it was so bad. And then a counselor through uh, their techniques, whether it's hypnosis or whatever they were doing, comes up with it. And it's interesting how Christians don't get over these things by seeing they're unbiblical, but it's usually lawsuits that stop them. So there was a case in Florida where a pastor was fired, uh, lost all of his money, banished because his daughter had gotten into one of these counseling things and had recovered memories of the father, the pastor, abusing her as a daughter. Well, here's what happened. I mean, he was literally destroyed. But somebody took up the cause and they started, they got a researchers and uh, detectives and they found out that because the memories were so specific, they could prove that they couldn't have happened because he wasn't in the place where he supposedly was. And this couldn't have happened and that couldn't have happened. And they was able to uh, prove that it was false. And he ended up uh, getting a major um, settlement. Well, it's interesting how losing money will stop what the Bible, they ignore the Bible, but with losing money, they can't ignore that. And that was so profound that that teaching fell into disrepute. That was a couple decades ago. And there are other examples like that. So here's my warning. Stay in the Bible Stay with objective categories that ordinary people can deal with. Mystical, magical, recovered memories or the curses over geographical locations, all that sort of thing. That's, gonna, that's going to lead to deception. Objective truth leads to freedom. If something is really bad and really sinful, God's answer for that is the blood of Jesus. Forgiveness, cleansing, redemption. That's his answer. <clears throat> um, repentance granted, we mentioned that, the means of correction. That's the means God uses to change. Now, you may ask, 
Is the term repentance ever used for Christians? Yes, Paul does. A Christian can repent of a, either a means of thinking or behavior that's unbiblical. It's not exact, it's, it runs along the same lines. A Christian can be deceived, but then enlightened by the word of God. And so it's similar, but usually it's about conversion. But a Christian can repent of activities and things that aren't biblical. And uh, we'll be glad to do so because if you have a love the, of the truth, you'd be glad that the truth shone a light on your life to help you more um, fruitfully serve the Lord in the truth. And Paul talks to, he wrote to churches where people needed to repent. <clears throat> Now, what I want to do here is go forward to the slide I made yesterday, and let's see if we can tease out this. There's three categories here um, that would de describe what Paul is briefly mentioning in 2 Timothy 2.26. So I went and I, I have these in my notes. I just did it yesterday, so... It's not Christie's fault that you don't have a printout. I didn't do this till yesterday. So we're going to have to, but I did make the slide and I have the verses in my computer here and, we, and you can look them up if you want. Let's start with the first one. Set free from Satan. This is two domain theology. From this one to that one. Here's how you're set free. From this one to that one. Number one, from the lie to the truth from the lie to the truth. John 8, 31, 32. John 8, 31, 32. John is a rich resource about this. Now I'm citing the Lexham English Bible. Let me tell you why. Out of all the Bibles I have in my logos, this is the rare one that actually translates the term the lie. So your Bible will just say, falsehood maybe or lies or whatever but it doesn't say the lie now here's the reason it doesn't mean that these translators had an agenda but not every translator is a theologian and not every theologian understands the implications but in the Greek there's a definite article the term lie meaning falsehood or false statement the term lie is, uh, what would you call it? Intangible. It's, uh, oh, there's a word for it. Come on. I knew it yesterday. It's a noun that's not an object. What's the word for that? Grammatarian. Uh, I knew it yesterday. It might come to me. Abstract. Hey, abstract. Did somebody say that? Well, the, the professional translator. Thank you, Donna. Yay. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, so an abstract noun doesn't typically need a definite article. So if you put a definite article to an abstract noun, it may seem a little odd. So you might translate falsehood. But in the case of this, uh, the lie which the Lexham English Bible brings out each time, it's important that the, that the definite article is there 
because it's referring back to the Garden of Eden. There's an event where the lie was first spoken. Okay? And so there's a reason, and you can see in the interaction in John 8 between Jesus and his critics why this is going back to the garden. All right? So um, get your Bible open to John 8. Because this is really a good, uh, I have some of them here. John 8, 31, 32 is where this started. Then Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue on my word, excuse me, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Okay, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples, yes. Yeah, the truth. Right, and truth would be an abstract concept too, but there's a definite article. So when, the, when truth is given the truth in this context, it's about Christ, his person, and the gospel. The truth sets you free. It may be the truth that in the parking lot, I have a Ford truck that I own. Knowing that won't set you free. Okay. All right. So it would be, there's a range of meaning. But in the context, we're talking about discipleship, the person of Christ, his particular claims, the truth, abstract noun, definite article. Now, the opposite of the truth is the lie. So the problem with the Bible translations is that many of them will give the definite article to the truth, but don't give it to lie, even though it's in the Greek. All right? But it deserves to be there because that's the contrast. The lie, the truth. See, from the lie to the truth. So thankfully, the Alexum English Bible in Logos got it right. So Jesus said to those, if you continue my word, you're truly my disciples and you'll know the truth. Truth sets you free. Now, if you have your Bible open to that, what, what happens after that? What do the religious leaders have to say about that? Yeah, we were, we're Abraham's children. We've never been in bondage. So they're offended by the idea they need to be free. That would be verses uh, 33, 34, so on. And it starts a debate. So if you want to turn to Johnny, you'll see the debate. We're Abraham's children. Now here is something we can learn from. All of us who are part of churches and Christian families or whatever, we can learn something from this. Being the descendant of somebody of faith doesn't make you of the truth. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That doesn't imply that everyone descended from Abraham does the same. Growing up in a church doesn't prove that you're of the truth. You may be able to articulate true things because you were taught, but it doesn't make you of the truth. You may still be unconverted. And we know that for a fact. How many of us have 
uh, talked to people who thought they were Christians and for years went to church and realized somehow God got a hold of them and then they realized it was just ideas. Now it's real. Now the thing that set off the debate was that Jesus challenged them to be his disciples. They didn't know the truth. They were offended by the idea they are in bondage. We're not in bondage to anybody. Well, even on a superficial level, it wasn't true because Rome was in charge and they had to do obedience to Rome. They didn't like it. But even on a deeper level, they were in bondage and they wouldn't admit it. Um, and so then I don't... Uh, could you give me my... I should have had my paper Bible out with me. No, the Bible that I have in there, like my Greek there. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Eric. So if you read along, uh, there's a debate that happens between Jesus and the religious leaders in, in John 8. And this is very significant, and it helps us understand do, two dominions. To, to domain theology, I mean. So John 8, then we go on. Now I have my King James here, actually, in my interlinear. Um, <clears throat> Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin, verse 34. So he gets down to the real issue. Even if you did have autonomy in your political domain, which they didn't totally have, you still are got a problem with sin. If you are committing sin, you're in bondage to sin. Verse 35. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. The unique claims of Christ. Verse 36. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So here's the unique claim of Christ. This is my claim about all of these passages. The only way to be transferred from the domain of the lie, which is the domain of Satan, into the kingdom of God is through conversion. To be redeemed, set free, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, born of God, all the things that attend to the being a Christian. The other things are simply symptoms and superficial. Superficial. You may look like a Christian, sound like a Christian, act like a Christian, say things like a Christian, and listen to Christian music and be in bondage. And in John 8, 43 to 47 basically is saying the truth is the, divide, the dividing line. If you right. don't, you can, he can, they, he can preach as much as he wants, but if they're not of God, they can't hear. Yeah, they won't listen to it. Well, Saul of Tarsus himself didn't listen for a while. God intervenes, and then we listen to what we didn't used to. Okay, so going, that's good reading. Thank you. So the son, so here's a Offer if the sun sets you free, then you'll be free. I know uh, he's, he says, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. You want to kill me, 
reminds you of what happens in Acts with Saul of Tarsus. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen of your father. Now we're getting down to the what we call the brass tacks. They had a different father. Jesus is one with the father, co-creator. And they answered, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Look at the plan words, double entendre. Abraham's children, the term children of in the New Testament sometimes means characterized by. He's not denying that they're descendants of Abraham being Jewish. He's denying that they're characterized by Abraham's faith. So it's a different way of using the word children. Sons of, sons of darkness would be characterized by being in darkness. So that's, that's a usage that's common in the Bible. One would have to do with physical lineage, and the other has to do with spiritual reality. I'm saying that that's the fact in Christianity. Much of Christianity is composed, or Christendom, is composed of people who aren't truly born of God. And they would have the similar reaction to this that they did to contemporaries of Jesus. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth. I'm translating into contemporary English. I've heard of God. This Abraham didn't do. Abraham believed. Abraham didn't persecute whoever told the truth. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Notice they go back at Jesus. Uh Uh-huh. We heard about where you came from. We heard the rumors. You're born of fornication. Of course, the reality is the virgin birth. So now you notice how much further they're getting away from Abraham. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. No, they they weren't of the truth. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself. Oh, boy, this is hard to read. I did not come from myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my words, even because you cannot hear my word? So again, here is using two different ways. Here is used here as... uh, sound waves bouncing off our eardrums that are words or listen with faith and take it into understanding. It's two different concepts that both use the word hear. You get that? So you can sit in church and hear it and hear. Go to a liturgical church. You hear about the Trinity, the virgin birth, basic things, the resurrection, In the creed, week after week after week after week after week, and then the pastor preaches on how to have a better life through finding purpose or whatever it might be. So the point is, you can hear words, just bounce off and bounce off and slide by and don't register, 
But when the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, he pierces us to the heart and we realize I am the one who believes the lie. I'm the one who needs forgiveness. I'm the one who's God's enemy. I'm not who I thought I was. And God actually saves Christians. Does that make sense? Yes. Praise God. And so uh, they do the works of the Father. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Verse 44, I have that over here, I believe, in my Lexham English Bible. You are of your father, the devil. Here's where it comes, cuts to the quick, right here. John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Imagine the irony. Abraham's children, the leaders of Israel, some of them amongst those who had believed superficially, the inheritors of the promises. Jesus says, you're your father, the devil. That one was a murderer from the beginning. It does not stand firm in the truth. Notice a definite article. Because truth is not in him. Whenever he speaks the lie, there's the one that really, I have the Lexham English Bible. Whenever he speaks the lie, that should be translated by every English translation. Because if you don't get that, you just say whenever he speaks falsehood, it may be falsehood about anything. But if it's the lie which is in the Greek, it's obviously the opposite of the truth, which is who Christ is and what he's speaking. And so then it, then it has impact. It's powerful. The truth, the lie. The English translations miss it because it's an abstract noun and they don't translate the definite article, which is there in the Greek. And uh, ta pseudos. I have the Greek here. The lie. It's in the Greek. The lie. It should be there. It should be translated. But as I said, translators aren't always theologically savvy. So they, it's not wrong to not put a definite article with an abstract noun in a lot of circumstances. But uh, in this case, it's necessary. So I could only find one that had, and that was Alexa English. There may be other. And uh, whenever he speaks the lie, the lie is the message of Satan. He still speaks it. It's the very message he spoke in the Garden of Eden to Eve. He speaks from his own nature. So that shows us right there. It's more than just saying something that's false. He's speaking the essential message of what you believe and who you follow and who you serve, not just something that might be, well, that road over there goes to an olive grove and it turns out it goes to a wheat field. It's more profound than that, okay? And uh, 
whenever he speaks the lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. The father, I think it said in the Greek, the father of it. The father of the lie. Where did that happen? Where in the Bible does Satan become clearly the father of the lie? The garden, right? The garden. Go ahead, Eric. Just to give even more credence to your view, in verse 44, it says he was a murderer from the beginning. And the way he murdered Adam and Eve is by telling them the lie. You will be like God. You won't die, but you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And the moment they bid on that lie, the lie, they died. They died. Right. He's the murderer. Okay, this begs me to tell something that I heard Friday. We drove down to see Jessica. And Todd was there and showed me a, a clip, and we're going to try to do something with it. He sent it to my email. It's a Presbyterian pastor, and she is talking about that event. And in her, her claim is that Satan spoke the truth and that God was the one who lied. And this is in a church. Yes, I have the video of it, and we're talking about doing some kind of a, doing something with that, a podcast or something about it. I'll send it to you, Eric. But it's just reversing it, totally reversing the narrative in Genesis. Now, the whole thing is so obviously wrong. It's crazy, but that's, there are people going to church saying, well, there's an educated theological pastor telling me this it must be the way it is and so all the churches have been lying to Christians all these years claiming that Satan lied when he finally he told the truth and it was God who lied how does she know God lied because they didn't die so God was the liar Satan told the truth but of course she's not going to tell him the passage we're looking at he was a murderer how did he murder them if they didn't die well, they died spiritually right on the scene and later died physically. So there's a delayed physical death, but there's an immediate spiritual one. Yes, uh, Rich. Yeah, <clears throat> you will die this day. You will die this day with, a, with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Methuselah. <laughs> The oldest guy ever, he died within a thousand years. Nobody ever lived to see a thousand years. They all died within that. So they did die that day. Well, they died spiritually that day for sure. And physically. And they set, yeah, they set it into motion what would lead to their physical death. Yes. Uh, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Perfect. There's your reading. Now, that's, that really underscores that video that I saw Friday, and I, I have it on my computer, uh, underscores what Dr. Yarborough was saying. It's malpractice for pastors to just lay stuff out there and not do the careful study to tell the truth to people and when you come to church you need to hear the truth and 
anybody can be wrong, the priesthood of every believer, we need to listen to people who have a better reading. Because being having got an education doesn't mean you always have the better reading. So continuing here in verse 44, they, they, the lie, the father of it, he, because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He who's of God hears God's words. And so to not go any further in John 8, you can, it's a fantastic section. Here's why we preach the gospel. He who is of God hears God's words. If the gospel is proclaimed, there may be people who at that point hear God's words and come alive. Three ways of describing conversion from the lie to the truth. That's the one in John 8. But that's not the only place. I can prove from these other passages uh, that this is the case elsewhere. John 18, 37. Oh, oh boy. Why don't I use my real... Here we go. 18.37 says this. Then Pilate, Pilate, we know he wasn't a son of Abraham, right? <laughs> then Pilate said to him, so then you are a king. Jesus replied, you say that I am a king. For this reason I was born and for this reason I have come into the world in order that I can testify to the truth, the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He repeats to Pilate what he said to the Jewish leaders. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. You know what happens when the truth from the scripture is clearly taught by Christians, by as we teach our children or teach each other or have classes or preach in a pulpit or whatever, the truth will always have an impact and anyone who's of the truth will hear and rejoice. It won't make them angry. And then 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12, from, from the LEB, again, it comes out accurately. Sadly, the people miss the thing about the lie because it's not translated. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. <clears throat> and with every unrighteous deception against those who are perishing, in, in place of which they did not accept the love of the truth so that they should be saved. Notice they did not accept the love of the truth, 2.10. By the word, by the way, the word accept there, in the Greek is dekomai, our version of it, uh, as, a, as a verb. Receive, dekomai, means to welcome. It's a word that often means welcome. They did not welcome the love of the truth. This is one step before loving the truth, is welcoming the truth when it comes to your door. And it's not the Jehovah Witnesses. <laughs> and you welcome the love of the truth 
love, love of the truth is a gift. It comes by grace. And that's what salvation looks like. And you, those who are born again are born with a love for the truth. Verse 11, because of this, okay, don't welcome the love of the truth. Go away. Don't want to hear it. We're Abraham's children. We're Americans. We're whatever you, we're Presbyterian. Like that lady we were hearing on that video that says Satan told the truth and God lied. Uh, whoever it is, I'm not saying that's Presbyterian doctrine, but that's what she was teaching. So here you go. That's not the love of the truth. And because of this, okay, so you don't love the truth, you reject it. Because of this, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. The Greek has a definite article. The lie. Often not translated, sadly not translated, but the LEB got it right. So there's two messages, the truth, the lie. The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The lie is the lie of Satan. You shall be like God. You can sin and not die. You don't have to, God will never say, do what he said he would do. He will never judge. Whatever they're saying goes back to the garden, the lie. Ignore everything God said, can't count on him. The version of it I heard in church when I was a teenager, the good Lord would never send anybody to hell. That's what I heard. And then when I asked the pastor, then why are, are these verses in the Bible that we read in Sunday school? Well, these are there to give us moral object lessons. These things didn't actually happen. Now, now there's a more potent version of liberalism, and it's called uh, Eastern religion. Okay, so the lie. Verse 12, 2 Thessalonians 2.12. In order that, now that's a purpose statement, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but delighted in unrighteousness. Now, if you look at 2 Thessalonians 2.10, it's on the outline here, and 2.12, if you look at the whole thing in context, unrighteousness is synonymously parallel with the lie. It's two ways of saying the same thing. Believe, if you don't believe the truth, you believe unrighteousness. If you don't believe the truth, you believe the lie. That's how the Bible sees it. Now, that's the first aspect of how the Bible describes what I'm calling two domains, two spiritual domains, or two-domain theology as we teach this. The other two are from darkness to light and from death to life. And they're just as profound and just as clearly biblical. And so the article, there's a few more here, if you, if you hadn't read it, if you want one, is the one I tell people to read if they call me looking for a deliverance counselor. And I get a lot of those calls because I have an article that probably the most read of what any of them ever wrote. And it was about how I used to be one and got out of it. And then they don't read the whole thing. They just read the story and they call me, can you help me get the demons out? So, um, 
we have just a few minutes. Do you want to discuss the lie and the truth? Does anybody uh, want to comment on that or question it? Yes. Uh, to, to. I think the greatest example of teaching the lie versus the truth is the Roman Catholic Church. They've been doing that for centuries. I mean, in the garden, God said, you will die if you do not obey my word. Well, Rome says, well, that's just a venial sin. You won't die if you commit a small sin. Um, they have a different gospel. Everything about them is a, a lie. Yeah, it's interesting with people. Mike Jenner, by the way, if you do know who Mike Jenner is, he does a fabulous job of evangelizing Roman Catholicism. They're offended that, you, that we see them as an object for evangelizing because they have so much religion. But as a matter of fact, they would be more like the people that disputed with Jesus. We, we're Abraham's children. We're five-generation Roman Catholic. Who are you telling us we're going to die if we believe the lie? And so there's this religious institution that's deeply ingrained that's like a repellent for the gospel. Just like we saw. John 8 is a good thing to look at. Their belief that they were the true religion in John 8 as it was, Pharisaical and uh, the, Sadduce the Sadducees, kept them from seeing they, re they really were not Abraham's children in a spiritual sense. Yes, yeah, Earlier when you mentioned that uh, Presbyterian pastor, you know, it really, for all believers, we have to be reading the Bible for ourselves. You know, it's just this is what we have to do. And so when you've got a church where the pastor can get away with saying stuff like that, I'd have to think that anyone sitting in that church is, can't be a believer because, you you know, if you're a believer, you, you're going to want to read the Bible and you're going to want to learn from it. Uh, and I would go further. My wife and I debate this, you know, discuss this stuff. We talk about people we know that are in other denominational churches and are they a believer or not? And I don't know. We may be wrong, but I guess uh, my feeling right now is that if you have somebody that's sitting in a denomination, well, whatever church it might be, that's teaching absolute falsehoods. I mean, this could be Joel Osteen. It could be the Roman Catholic Church. It could be, you know, we could pick on a lot of them. But if there are people sitting in those churches, and we have friends in some of them, and we wonder, what's their eternal destiny? And I have to say, I think their eternal destiny is not good because you can't be a believer and sit in these churches and yeah. listen to this. Let me mention something to think about in that context and we got to quit. When I, I'm going through 1 Corinthians 14, eventually, should the Lord tarry? Because it's going to be a while before I get there. Should I stay healthy in the Lord tarry? But when we get to 1 Corinthians 14, it says, if you all prophesy and there comes in a unbeliever or an un, somebody who doesn't know about Christ in 1st Corinthians 14 you all prophesy no this is an ideal outcome this doesn't always happen they'll be convicted and fall on their face and say God is among you that's in 1st Corinthians 14 now here's the point the, the, if the gospel is preached prophecy 
under the new covenant in its essence is preaching the truth. Okay? And everyone who hears it, if they haven't been converted, is of the lie. So you're confronting head on the air, the bondage. And if the gospel's preaching, if every one of you prophesied, in other words, the word of God, the gospel is on the lips of the congregation. Wherever we speak and teach, including here in the class, that is going to ideally somebody, well, I didn't know that. That's what church is about. That's what Christians do. I never even heard it. And there will be people that that happens. And I hear from them through critical issues because they read about these things and they contact me. And recently I heard from someone who came to Christ that way by reading an article about what was wrong and what the truth is. And so that's why we do it. Yes, uh, Susie. Just a thought to keep in mind, you know, Eric, it seems discouraging, but when people could be sitting in a church like that, but they may be there because a spouse isn't willing to leave yet, but they are saved. And they may be a, a child who is saved, a teenager saved, but they're there because their family won't let them leave. So we can't know for sure all who are sitting yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, and we're we're not, the point is, the meetings are public. Anyone can come and be part of it. So the debate is over what is spoken and what are means of grace that are valid. And so everything should point to the truth, knowing that everyone who might walk in or see it on the TV or, or hear about it is already under the lie. Yeah, if you're born, you're under the lie. Yeah. Uh, did I say that? <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> I don't think that's true. Uh, not the only one. The point is, that's why it needs to be spoken, because we can't assume that the external trappings mean there's true Christianity there. The stained glass windows, the pews, the steeples, the crosses, the bells and all the different things. I listen to a lot of gospel music while I'm working. Um, there's one channel, the Gospel Quartet, but there's a lot of people um, sentimental about the pews and the windows. That's where I was born again. Well, that, I'm glad that a person was born again, but the windows and the pews didn't what, isn't what caused you to be born again. It might be a sentimental memory, but you might go back to the same place 50 years later and you have the person saying, it may be totally different. They may not even be preaching the gospel anymore. The building doesn't ensure the message is going to stay the same. Does that make sense? Okay, we're done. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness. Thank you for the fellowship of the saints. Pray for Pastor Eric as he preaches the word to us that we listen that we carefully search the scriptures and understand these things. And as we celebrate your supper, anticipating the marriage supper of the Lamb, may we have faith and hope in your mighty promises that came from you who cannot lie. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless.